0: It's a very, very favorite topic of mine because the whole point is that's where we're going. You know, that's absolutely where we're going. And yet, you know, it's really um, kind of, it's not always so straightforward how to get there. You know, so it takes a path, it takes some effort, it takes some cultivation, it takes some diligence, it takes some persistence, and some of the territory maybe is not so joyful. But that's where we're going that's what this is all about yeah so um, bringing joy into the business world into the entrepreneurial world is also something that I would hope would be a priority you know you know. so it's helpful just to step back periodically and think you know what are we doing this for you know what are our values what are our priorities what are what is actually motivating us What what, what makes it possible for us to get up in the morning and do everything that we do Where is our motivation coming from? But in order to really genuinely look at that question, it's actually not an easy question because it requires a kind of like ruthless honesty with where we're at. And that ruthless honesty, by necessity, means that we have got to accept everything that whether we think it's congruent with our values or not or who we are as a person or not, We have got to be able to let whatever is genuinely bubbling up through us into our mind to know it. We have to let it be there. The only way to do that is to allow it into a mind that's non-judgmental, with a kind of allowance and a permission to say, whatever thing is there, is this allowed to be there? And I'm not going to beat myself up, and I'm not going to have a tantrum, and I'm not going to, you know, whatever. I just need to be able to know what's there. When we know what is driving us, then we can work with it. If we don't know what's driving us, we can't work with it. We cannot. We don't have any mechanisms for discernment, for seeing whether this is actually congruent with where we want to be, or what other parts of us think our values really need to be in order to have the kind of quality of life that we're looking at. So last week, I started with emotional intelligence. or last, last time I came, I started with emotional intelligence. And the qualities of emotional intelligence have in them um, self-awareness, which is really knowing what you think and feel and how relaxed or tensed you are in any given situation. Um, self-regulation, which includes being able to discern appropriate behavior and act accordingly independent of a kind of like the emotional charge that's connected to any situation. So in order to do that it absolutely by necessity requires knowing how to slow down and calm oneself when something's happened and you're spinning on some kind of an emotional reactive patterning. So in order to self-regulate there's got to be an intermediary step of calm and uh, decompression from an emotional charge, which takes the first thing, which is self-awareness, to know what you're actually feeling, to be able to come back into that stillness. The last three components of emotional intelligence, motivation, empathy, and social skills, are really um, like kind of the crux. These these they build on each other. But the last, the motivation and empathy, to me have a huge component in it around where we experience joy or why we don't experience joy. And social skills is kind of like the polish of how we take this and manifest it in our relationships with other people. So it's too much to cover all of that in one go but what we can do is work on the the, the third and the fourth one the motivation and the empathy so when we are looking at motivation you know um, I was working on an Amravati and Amravati is a monastery in England and It had like, I don't know, 38 buildings to it. And we had a resident monastic community, and then we had a visiting lay community, and then there was a retreat center. And I'm not a professional handy person. I I didn't have any training in that. You know, in a monastic context, you do things because it's needed, not because you necessarily have any background in it whatsoever. As many years as I was the workman at Amaravati, I was always doing stuff I'd never done before, okay? The place was vast. The buildings were, you know, complicated. And, um, you know, we had to fix things and set stuff up. And, I mean, there was just a bunch of stuff that we had to do. And in addition, because a monastery works entirely on donations, a large proportion of the way that we got things done initially for the first, well, 20 years of the monastery's existence was entirely through... Um, volunteer labor. So you get a group of volunteers who also have no clue what they're (laughs) doing, and you get a person who's in charge who's got no real clue about what needs to happen or how to do it, you know, in a kind of professional level. And it's a very interesting mixture, and you've got a narrow time frame and huge amounts of things that need to get done. Does this sound familiar to anybody? You know, so these people, they come to the monastery, they want to practice. You know, they're all inspired. They've got all these great ideas. And I take one look at them, and it's like, this person's going to be able to help me do what I want. This person is not, you know. So, like, in three seconds, I've sized them up in terms of whether they are going to be assets to getting my goals met or whether they are going to hinder me in getting my goals met. Now, there's experience in this that can be verified, you know, I remember we had a um, in another monastery. We had a huge project to convert the woodlands to to native species, and so we would dig up the chestnuts, which are not native, and we would plant native species. And it's rather exasperating when you organize a work party to plant trees and you find out that three quarters of the trees have been planted upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Or you ask somebody to sweep and they don't know how to sweep, you know, or you ask somebody to paint some undercoat and they have no idea what undercoat is, you know. And so it's like, you know, this level of, of, of what you're dealing with. And so I, it, I, it was a real stark realization for me that I was relating to everybody as objects of desire. They were either people who are going to support me to get my desires met, or they were going to obstruct me. And based on this immediate judgment, I would categorize them into yes or no, whether they would be on my team or out of my team. Or if I could farm them off into another category where they could do as little damage as possible and I wouldn't have to t- handle them. All right. And then I had to really look. I thought, is this the way I want to be? You know, Do I want to relate to people like this? Is this actually helpful for me as a nun? doing what I want to do here, which is about waking up out of suffering. If I'm relating to people like that, is this actually contributing to where I really want to be? And the answer was no. You know, I couldn't actually sustain that and, and 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 continue with that. So I thought, well, it still is the truth that I'm only dealing with a volunteer group of people, and it still is the truth that we have a gazillion things to do in an impossibly small amount of time to do it in but I don't have to do that with people when I see them. I don't have to dismiss them or categorize them or or relate them to the out into the field where I don't have to have any I can actually relate to each person as a human being and find what they have to offer and see how it's going to fit into the situation. And when I shifted with those kinds of things, you know, there was less tension in what I was doing and there was more um sense of ease and there was more sense of satisfactions in the interactions that I was having with people it took me a long time to figure it out and part of that was because that was just the nature of you know the, the, that there was so many things that we felt we had to do that it just took a while for me to recognize this is ridiculous to relate to people in this kind of a dismissive reductionist way it feels horrible you know. So as a nun, having to see that well actually the really the only thing that I'm interested in when I'm looking at these people is, is a very narrow bandwidth of their human potential. And I'm completely missing the fact that they've come to a monastery because they want to wake up after suffering. I'm missing that entirely. So there has to be a kind of reconciliation with myself of where I'm at and where I really want to be. But I can't get to where I really want to be until I actually accept where I'm at, you know. Until I actually really get it that this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So there has got to be a time where we really check in and see. Well, what are we actually doing? And what kind of effect is this having on me? On the people I'm interacting with, on my family, and all everybody else around us. Yeah. So. The interesting irony about wanting to move towards joy is is that we actually have to open up to absolutely the opposite. You know, everything that's not joy. And begin to get some sense of, well, is this a an indication that I need to look at things differently? That I need to start placing my priorities in a different place? That I need to start thinking about this in a different way? Yeah. So this process of honesty and what, you know, my dad used to call agonizing reappraisal is absolutely fundamentally essential in the process of moving out of suffering and moving towards more joy. It's fundamental. Because if we aren't able to actually look at what's there, then we have no ground to change it to where we would like it to be ground at all. Okay? So, um, let's move into some meditation and see if through our own meditation and our inquiry we can um, feel where we're at. Okay? So, posture that feels... (coughs) very relaxed and comfortable, but allows you to be very clear. So for me, when I'm clear, my spine is um, somehow straight. So that can be straight sitting up or straight lying down, but when my spine is straight, then it's easier for me to be cleared. And really, just take a few moments and let your whole system relax. Just let everything of the day go, let everything of the week go. Let everything of the month go. Let everything since January last year go. Let it all go. Just let it drop. And as you let it drop, and you notice your mind can come more into a place of stillness, just notice if your body is also following suit, where some of the muscles are relaxing. You notice subtle movements in your body to find an alignment that feels actually more alive, which allows a little bit more energy. Sometimes when you do this, you can notice tensions that you had no idea were there before because the overlying kind of tension was so huge than the underlying ones, the subtler ones, were just completely obscured. So when the subtler tension has become apparent, then... You can make also just little intentions to meet them, meet each tension, and give it a permission to to relax. And as you give the permissions to relax, just notice if there's a corresponding relaxation in your body. So just noticing if there is a connection between intention and result. We don't have a magic wand, but we can intend. We can bring our attention to different parts of our body. We can intend to invite relaxation, and we can see if there's a corresponding relaxation that is the result. There has got to be relaxation in the body for any kind of depth of inquiry. It's essential. It's essential. It's fundamental. So until we have some sense of relaxation, we don't have much ground. We don't have much capacity to do much deep work. And when there is some relaxation, then we can open up and we can ask. You know, When I look at my own life right now, you know, what are the things that motivate? Now, when we're asking this question, there has got to be permission to allow into awareness whatever arises. That has got to be the baseline thing, and we're not going to have to share this with others, so don't worry. This is absolutely private, confidential within ourselves to know for ourselves what is driving us. Is it the desire for power? Is it the desire for money? Is it the desire for security? Is it the desire for um, to do something that is worthwhile? Is it the desire to leave a legacy? Is it the desire to help somebody? Is it the desire to um, not have to be afraid? So it, it really doesn't matter what it is what is really important that all of the different nuances of what is motivating is allowed to come through just like popcorn and we don't need to worry about them we don't need to collect them or categorize them Just, just noticing the different things that come through what are the motivations that are driving you to do all the things that you're doing particularly in your work environment. So each thought comes through and with the thought is an impression and the impressions are registered in awareness without judgment that it needs to be different or that it should be more or should be less, just receiving everything in awareness. Let it, let it extend the whole range. You know, the subtle ones, the coarse ones, the ones that are obvious, the ones that are not so obvious. Invite all of them into awareness that you can know all of the different subtleties of them, what's motivating you. Now I would like to invite you to stand. And in standing, we can just allow this one reflection of inquiry to stop. And we can ask another question. We looked at what was motivating us. And now we can ask, what do we really value? What do we really treasure? What do we really want in ourselves? For our lives, for our families, in our workplace, in our career. What do we really want in the world? And there might be energy, or there might be images, there might be feelings, there might be ideas. And again, you know, like popcorn, whatever arises, is welcome. So standing here and just allowing the body to continue to relax and again staying with the inquiry, you know, really what it is that we deeply value. Just letting all of the ideas come into our mind. Do we value health? Do we value relationships? So again well the invitation is just to be open and receptive and allowing thoughts and images and ideas and pictures to come through without any censoring, without any judgment, without any asking there be more of this and less of that, just an open field receiving things. I'd like to invite you to just spend a couple minutes doing walking meditation. And with the walking meditation, just drop both of these things the motivation of what's driving us and the confession about what we're valuing. And just seeing if we can drop both and come into just the simplicity of just walking and being present with the walking for just a few minutes. So take your time and walk around this area of the building. And I'll ring the bell for three or four minutes. Just coming back again and again and again to the body sensations and to the breath and to what's absolutely happening in the present moment without being distracted by thought or ideas. One of the very really critical things about motivation or leaders that are coming from a motivational place is, is that they come from a perspective of finding what's positive in the situation. So even if there's been a long stretch of stuff that hasn't gone well, what's really important is to pick out the thing, the lesson in it that one has learned, the context that one has made, the... Things that are um, positive places when we can move forward from that. And so, in the same way, you know, when we're looking at this list of the contrast between what's driving us and what we value, you know, the challenge would be to find the positive things about the contrast between these two lists. All right. You know, when we see what we're actually motivated by, then it allows us to look at it differently or when we recognize how much of our motivation actually is congruent with what we value, we can really feel um, how um, wonderful it is that the, the things that we're doing and the way that it's moving forward. Right. So it's important as leaders that we frame something in a way where it looks positive. So even when we're opening up a, what would be known as an agonizing reappraisal, the important point is to see the positive thing that allows us to move forward in a way that we want to with that yeah so um, I you know I was born in California and I spent a lot of time in Santa Cruz and just south of Santa Cruz is this area of Carmel and Carmel um, was an interesting area it was very very beautiful It's right on the coast And a lot of people in that area had a phenomenal amount of money. And the houses were huge, and everybody had all the right toys, and the kids were all bright, and everyone had fancy cars, and it had the highest suicide rate in the country. And, you know, it's a really interesting thing that, when you set up a society where everybody's got everything that society is saying, that this is supposed to be the thing that's actually going to do it for you, and it's not actually doing it for you, the kind of desperation that comes to people when they realize, I've got everything that anyone could possibly ever dream of, and I'm still miserable. And so, you know, the real question is, where is where does, does the sense of contentment come from? You know? where where does it come that we feel well where does it come so if it doesn't come from a big house and a fancy car and all the toys then where does it come now it doesn't mean that we have to give up the big house and the fancy car and all the toys but it just means that we can't look to them to be the thing that's actually going to make us feel like it's all okay yeah So where does that okay, that deep sense of okayness come from? That has got to be part of one's value and be included in one's motivation about what one is doing. Not as a goal for when you retire, but something that is part of your day, every single day of your life. It has got to be like that. Otherwise, we are moving towards a goal that never arrives and we never get there. Now, my father would tell this story a lot because my father suffered a lot from, from a kind of a fear that if you didn't have a certain amount of safety or security or, or stuff around you that somehow that was, you know, he grew up in the Depression, so it's a common thing of people who grow, go through that is they want a certain amount of stuff, financial security. So he always would tell this story. And it goes something like, you know, this man was kind of like really trying to, he was wrestling with this question. So he went to the rabbi who was in town, and I think the rabbi's name was Silverman. So he went to Rabbi Silverman. And he says, "Reb Silverman, I really understand why I should give thanks to God why I have a good day. I get that. But why should I also give thanks to God when I don't have a good day? I don't get that. I don't get that. Tell me why should I give thanks when I don't have a good time? So Reb Silverman says, you know, there's a man in the village across the way. His name is Isaac. Go talk to him. He'll be able to tell you the answer to that question. So he travels to the village and he goes and he finds Isaac and he walks into Isaac's hovel. So Isaac lived in a hovel. It was a tiny little place that had a dirt floor. There was no food in the house and the furniture was broken and there was nothing in it except for You know, a broken furniture and a dirt floor. There was no solid heat. There was just a fireplace, and he didn't have a stack of firewood. And it was a cold area. So he says to Isaac, he said, Reb Silverman sent me to you. He says, I really understand why I should give thanks to God for when I have a good day. But can you tell me why I should give thanks to God when I don't have a good day? And Isaac looked at him. He says, I don't know. I have never had a bad day. So, when we put these things into perspective, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, now I remember. You know, now I remember. You know, I can walk, I can see, I can talk. There is enough food for me to eat today. There is a roof over my head. There is enough for today. What do I need more in order to be happy? Is it possible that I can find contentment in the present moment? What else is needed in order for me to feel content? Now, my life is a little bit insane in terms of American values because my lifestyle is kind of designed designed to kind of exacerbate like the most amount of insecurity that a person can actually navigate without going completely insane, you know? So, you know, I don't handle money, and I'm not supposed to cook, though I've made accommodations because I don't have the support in Colorado Springs to have food offered to me every day. And I'm not allowed to charge any money for anything that I do. And so I live entirely off of the donations of other people, okay? And I have worried a lot about how it's going to work or how it's going to survive or whether there's going to be enough money to pay for them. I've worried about all of those things. But I have got to learn to train myself, is there enough in this moment? Do I have enough food? Do I have enough cloth? Am I warm enough? Is there enough right now that I can trust to live this way for another day? Now, obviously, it certainly is a realistic choice to consider, well, maybe this really isn't working and I need to go do something different. That's a valid choice. But what I have realized is that there's an endless opportunity to worry. And my lifestyle is designed to create that. You know, you know, it's designed to create insecurity in the system that my life basic needs are dependent on other people to support them. Okay? I, I don't, I'm not allowed to use money to buy things. So if I need anything, somebody has to help me do that. I cannot go to the store and buy anything on my own, because I can't handle money. So all of the things that you normally get, it's like I need to wait, yeah? So there's infinite opportunities for me to stress out or to freak out or to flip out, and the challenge is, is to train the self to come back into the present moment and to say, is there enough right now? Now, my situation, I have to admit, is extreme in terms of our American valuing, Yeah? But the mind training is invaluable because even though my situation is different on those particular levels, what we are all navigating is the same, which is is that we are looking for external measures for something that the external measures cannot actually satisfy. Now, obviously, you need enough food. If you don't have enough food, it's not okay. You need a certain amount of health. If you don't have that, it's not okay you need a certain amount of warmth and a certain amount of shelter you need a certain amount of basic needs but what we actually need and what we imagine we need are actually quite different you know so we need to come back to what is basic what we actually basically need and is that covered and then where is it that we can find contentment and joy where is it now i have my own sense of where that comes from yeah it's an open inquiry where does it come from Does it come from stuff? Does it come from power? Does it come from from position? Does it come from fame? Check it out. So sometimes we are motivated towards a direction which is illusory in bringing us what we actually really want. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to run to the monastery, but it does mean that we need to begin to put together the things that actually do bring that sense of contentment and joy and fulfillment and authenticity and radical honesty into the immediacy of how we're living and how we're relating to each other. Because to me, that's where contentment comes from. When I'm honest, when I'm authentic, when I am transparent, when I am living in accordance with my values, to me, that's when I feel well. Not with the stuff, not with the power, not with the praise, not with the position, not with the legacy. And it might be that there is a legacy, and it might be that there is power, and it might be that there is praise. But that is not where my contentment comes from. Check it out. Check and see whether this is actually true for you or not. So, to bring joy into the workplace means that the kind of basic valuing that we have in the business world is is consumerism and product-oriented and money-oriented needs to shift into being relational, compassionate, authentic, collaborative. And the only way that can happen is when people in twos and threes and fours and fives and sevens and tens realize that there's a tremendous value in relating to each other that way. And through relating to each other that way and bringing forward the enormous energy and vitality and synchronicity and synergy that happens when people are bringing forward the whole of who they are, then the the policies begin to change, the structures begin to change, the work environment begins to change around the valuing of what happens when people feel really well in themselves. So rather than being freaked out if they don't work like a crazy person on a rat race in order to accomplish impossible amounts of goals because a person has an idea in their head about how it's supposed to be, people are listening to each other and talking to each other and figuring out where you at and what you need in order to accomplish what you, where you are wanting to go. And how can we support each other rather than how can I threaten you so you feel so freaked out that if you actually speak the truth to me, you're afraid of losing your job? You know, it's a change in value system. So, what's important? What's important? And how long is your life going to be for you to figure that out? Do you know the answer to that? Mm-hmm. Hope long <laughs> Does anyone have any idea how long you have? Nobody has a clue. So if we don't make today, it's like it's today. We've got to do it today. We don't have until we retire. You know, I don't remember whether it was before I started the series or just around when I started the series. My brother, um, Joseph worked for my brother for fifteen years. And um A very dear friend, so in addition to being an employee, he was a very, very dear friend. And he had some symptoms. He went to the hospital and he had liver cancer. Six weeks later, he was, he was dead. He was gone. You know, and his plan was, is he was going to retire next year. You know. So it's like, you know, we, we don't, we don't, none of us know. We absolutely don't know. So our life has to be about bringing forward into every day the things that we really find important. That we really genuinely value. Because there's no guarantee that it's gonna be there or we're gonna be there when we retire to do it when we've done all the stuff that we think is really urgent but is actually not that important. You know? Yeah. One of the qualities that really helps shift the equation is empathy. And, you know, again, coming back to my own story, I was saying that as a work nun, I had a, a large number of vol- volunteer people to coordinate, and none of who had any experience with what we were needing to do, in impossibly short time frameworks in order to get impossibly large tasks finished. And so the way I would relate to that is I would just reduce everybody into whether they were likely to be able to help me get my goals done or whether they were going to obstruct me. And when I changed and realized the kind of ridiculousness of me being a nun relating to people in this way... um, and then I began to just look at, you know, the human being that I was who had come with good heart, with a good intention to offer, and related to them like that. It's not as if all of a sudden they became competent in areas they weren't confident in, or that the number of tasks changed. But I began to communicate in a way that had a much more satisfying quality in it. And left a sweet residue rather than a kind of um, bitter residue, or a kind of exhausted residue, or a depleted residue in my system, you know? Well, here we are, we've got another day, what can we do? You know, who's got skills to garden, who can actually know the difference between a weed and a plant, you know, who actually knows that the tree goes with the root in the ground, know, who actually knows that, you know, the paintbrush, this is the way you hold a paintbrush, and this is the stuff that goes on first, and that's what goes on second. You need to wash the brush. You know, can, you, you know, can we manage those things? And then, and then we would do what we would do, and it would have a much, much, much sweeter quality to it. And so it has always been the case that the work is never done. It always will be the case if the work is never done. <laughs> the question is is can I learn to, to be with that in a way where I'm less freaked out or stressed out or agitated and the way that I'm actually am in myself is the way I want to be. Which is grounded and peaceful and content and respectful and appreciative of the goodness of everyone that I needed and what they have to offer. They didn't come to the monastery to paint or to plant or to garden. You know. So it was it was a good learning for me, you know. It was a good learning. So what I'd like to do is to have people pair up and um they are you in on this? Yeah. Okay. We've got um Well, maybe I can join in on the conversation because otherwise we'll be in, we'll have, or there'll be one with two and one with three. Then we have one with two and one with three. Yeah? And so, um, what I'd like you to do is to, um, so pair up. So we've got one, two, and one, three. And then when you pair up, then I'll figure out what the Mm -hmm. next instructions are.
1: So,
0: um, this inquiry is going to be about really consider the um, the joy, you know, why 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 you um, why you're in the job that you're in, and why uh, what the contribution you have to make, or where is the joy for you in that? So really think about your work and the joy that's there for you in that. Okay, so you figure out which one talks first and which one listens first and you're going to have to figure out I'm not sure how to do with this why don't we have well we can have um, if one person just feels like being the listener for this both rounds then you can have one person talking and then two people listening yeah so figure out which one of you is talking and which two are listening And so when you're talking again, you know, really the encouragement is is not to speak from your head, but to really come back every moment back into your body so you continue to relax. Because the tendency is when we speak we lose connection with our body. We don't actually know what we're feeling. And we start having various different kinds of patterns happening. But the patterns are actually making us more tense. So in order to interrupt that, we need to constantly um, bring our attention back into our body. So if you need, when you're speaking, to just stop, close your eyes, and recenter with your body sensations, then you're welcome to do that as often as you need to. Yeah. And so it's it's an odd thing to do that because we're used to having to finish sentences and present ideas and all the rest of that. But this the the idea of this is to really speak from a place where you feel really connected to your body. Yeah. So you're speaking about the joy in your work. And the listening person I want you to listen also with your body and also feel encouraged to stop and pause if you get drawn into what they're saying and that being drawn in makes it you disconnect. Yeah. But what I want you to listen for is the kind of emotional tones and expressions that you're hearing and how you know them. Do you know them by what they're saying? Do you know them by the body language? Do you know them by the kind of twinkling in their eye? Do you know them by the animation of how they're speaking? How are you registering what they are talking about? So really look for that. Is that good? Yeah? Okay. So I'll ring the bell and then we begin when I ring the bell and when I ring the bell again then just pause and then we'll switch okay change speakers so we've got another speaker happening and of the two that were listening one of you picked speaking and then the other says and again same topic you know really talking about the joy of uh, your work situation what really um, feels alive and connected and brings in that wonderful sense to you yeah and uh, remembering really stay connected with your body and I'm just noticing that because of the way that you're seated you're seated without having really changed the chair position it's you not none of you are facing each other. So why don't you shift your chairs so that you're actually facing each other a little bit better? It helps it helps with communication when you're looking at somebody in the right way. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when you hear the bell again the speaker begins speaking and the others two are listening and really listening for the emotional tones and how you are knowing them and for either the speaker and the listener if there's any time when you feel disconnected just stop pause close your eyes or do whatever you need to do in order to reconnect and then when you're ready open your eyes again so that we're learning to listen from another place than where we normally listen from and see how that affects the quality of our connection, the quality of our relaxation, and the quality of our ability to actually tune into what's going on to the other person. Okay, so now it's the time for the first um, person who was listening, or well, the first two people who were listening, to just give feedback as to what they heard and how they knew they were hearing it. So, the point of this is really to put yourself into the other person's shoes, to really get a sense of you know what it was, hap- what was happening for them, where their joy was, and so feedback to them what their joy was, but from as much a connection as you can manage that you are you know, relating to how you knew that, how you picked up on that and the effect that it had on you when you heard them talking about their joy. No, no, we're getting ready. I always know there going to be a so <laughs> treasure. Being very obedient. <laughs> <laughs> so then now the the next person can feedback as to whether that how they how they heard and and or the joy and and what allowed them to know that the other person was feeling such joy. is again to talk about um, joy but now we're going to talk about what obstructs the joy what actually limits it what obstructs it what blocks it from coming into full manifestation so the person who's speaking is going to speak about that and the person who's listening you know I think different people have different things about when they see problems or they hear problems or they hear some people go into fixing Their immediate idea is to see if they can come up with a solution to try and fix it. And what I'd like to encourage is rather than try and fix it, just see if it's possible to listen to what the person is saying and trust that in listening attentively that there's some goodness that happens with just that. Okay? That that's all, that's, that's what you're contributing is you're listening entirely attentively without having or needing to come up with any solution to what is, um, the person is offering. You're just listening. Okay, and then I'll ring the bell and then I'll switch partners And With the three of you, I want to... Um, it'll be a little bit longer so that I can alternate so that each of you get to talk. Okay. So again, pick which ones first. This next little uh, time is a is a uh, dialogue, so you don't need to pick first seconds of listening and talking, you can kind of just be um, able to respond. And just, um, if you care, to share what it was like to be able to speak and to have people listen without trying to fix anything, you know, just listening with their attention, with their heart, with their body, how it felt to be received in that way. into some kind of a group something? <laughs> so, um, would, would you like to share with the, the rest of us any pertinent things that came from those inquiries? What was that like for you?
1: <laughs>
0: that gets a gold star. no he has a problem on a Friday afternoon. Oh, it's such a good, healthy thing. It is great. So I'm just observing everybody's face. You look a little bit more pink. There's a little bit more energy. Everyone's a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) You know, so, you know, there's something that happens with what we've just been doing which allows Mm -hmm. the energy to flow in a way which is life-affirming, you know. And for whatever which reason, that's often not, I mean, you you didn't come in here looking like that. You know, so there's there's something that's happening that that's not what's going on in the normal kind of work day. Yeah. So, you know, an interesting question is is how much of that is self directed and how much of that is the effect of the environment one is in? How much of that is the place you're putting your own attention and how much of that is having to to navigate the environment of where you're at? But everyone looks a lot more relaxed. <laughs> so, are these qualities things that are transportable? Can you actually take bits and pieces of what we've been doing in these little modules into your work environment? Can you see Can you see the application of that?
1: If I'll stop long enough to think about it and try to apply it, you know, because you some of these exercises I've been trying to apply like, you know, meditating while you're walking, you know I'd, I'd never done that before, before you showed me and, so, and then stopping what I was doing just sitting in my chair thing, and then feeling my body, you know, what is the state of being, you know and, and what not, and incantating kind of a breath and, you know, you know, just for a few seconds not long, but yet you're, you're right, you know, how it kind of slows down things and kind of puts things back in alignment or whatever, and then you move out of it and go on about what you're doing. It helps, you know, if, if your mind is kind of doing that, then it kind of you know, drops down to a lower wavelength or something mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, so those things, it can be, but you've got to kind of stop. Think about it. <laughs> you know, focus for that. Thanks.
0: And it's, it's a little bit jarring because normally we're working on mode. You know, we've got a train of thought, we've got a train of activity, we've got a train of things that we're in the middle of. And it's our, we, it, we feel comfortable to be able just to follow those trains rather than to get off the train to d- redirect the train in another direction. But the other direction then helps us then re-engage with everything that we need to do from a totally different place. And you know, I just find it that it's really helpful. I mean, I get stressed working on the computer. I work on the computer. I spend too much time on the computer. You know, so I need to stop and unwind and, you know, and do stuff in order to relax. Yeah, I mean, same. You know. But I just, I, I remember, you know, I just remember that I need to do that. So what is it like speaking to people who are listening to you?
1: It's great. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really neat. <clears throat> Not having to, you know, be interrupted or you
0: know, arm wrestle for who's going to talk. It's it's very um, intoxicating. Mm. So I mean, a lot of us really feel uh, a hunger to be listened to, you know, to have what we have to say heard. And when and when we we get a little bit of that, it's like oh, this is really yummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. But, I mean, this is not rocket science. It's like you know, it doesn't it doesn't cost a million dollars. It's a question of you know making it a priority that one does that, and then and then beginning to see if there are other people who actually value this also, yeah, and then and then twos and threes and then fives and then maybe the 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 other managers and then maybe the you know so it begins to be a culture that sh- spreads out in 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 the environment that you're in. What are you thinking,
1: Ray? I was thinking how relaxing it was when I was laying on the floor. That's what I was thinking. How good that was and how I'd like to be able to get away with that every time you come. But I know in larger crowds I couldn't do it. I wouldn't feel as comfortable doing it. That's what I was thinking.
0: But, you know, I think, Ray, that what you're speaking to is actually our need. Which is, is that, you know, all of you are in positions where you have to be upright and presents as something to a whole bunch of people all the time. And really, you know, what your body's asking for is to really deeply relax. Deeply relax. And lying down, you know, in your case, is actually a place where you can do that in a way where it doesn't actually happen when you're sitting up. And I totally relate to that. Because, you know, I've had health issues or whatever, but I totally get it that when I'm lying down, it's a completely different quality of relaxation until that relaxation is very, very firmly in place, and then I can sit up and do that relax. But I need to get it first, what it is, before I can do it sitting up. I can't usually just go there sitting. So what you're speaking to is is, is that there actually is something really it's, it's a hunger. You know, there's a hunger to be able to unravel to that degree where you can just relax. And in professional work situations, it's like it's totally not cool to do that. <laughs>
1: you're, a, you're a disruptive you're a disruptive power in the, in the, the mentality <laughs> you know using God was, but so I feel I felt Cup was a small group today too so I felt it was, I was safe in saying putting that request on you because I've been wanting to do that because your voice has got this quality about it that mm. makes me want to relax and kind of get in the zone and whatnot. And I've been, like you said,
0: hungering to
1: lay down and really start relaxing. <laughs> and today was the opportunity, and it was such—it was a great thing. I'm telling you, it was really cool. Yeah. And, um, well, and your I'm,
0: face looks very different. It looks like you have really um, something has shifted.
1: There's
0: no question. Yeah. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, we can try another situation where there would be more permission for people to do that, so that it wasn't just you asking, but there would be an invitation for others to do the same so it wouldn't just be you standing out on your own but cool.
1: this room is the room that they're supposedly going to have us in yeah. from here on out and this is a big room the carpet's brand new yeah. It's really nothing there's no problem yeah. you know, so I many people who would want to yeah. hey? maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah no it's lovely because then when you can relax that way then there's a whole new place of where you can connect from it's really helpful to be able to relax like that's really helpful I mean, I know nuns who were working in the office in the monastery, so they were, you know, the nuns, you have to have this presentation as well. It's not just people in the workplace. They did the same. They'd close the door in the office, they'd lie on the floor underneath their desk, they'd rest for however long, and then they'd get up and they'd sit upright and they'd look, you know, professional when they'd come, so they'd find ways where they could, they could do that. Because they knew how restorative it was to be able to let the body unwind like that. So, I get it. Yeah. yeah, so finding ways where the values that one has or the needs that one has can be attended to, you know, in a way that works. Important. When you were doing the internal inquiry about looking at what's motivating you, was that surprising? It came up? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, what was interesting was the um, distinction you made between the motivation and the value. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I guess in this group, the really important question is: is how to remind yourself, or how to bring the bits and pieces that are nourishing, that you say are nourishing, into your everyday life. You know, how do you remember? How do you stop? How do you listen? How do you, um, how do you do these things in the work context? You know, what helps you remember to do them? What helps you remember that when you stay connected to knowing yourself, what's going on inside of yourself, then that is an asset for everything that you do? Breathing would probably be one way. Mm-hmm. Yes, breathing is a wonderful way. What will help you remember to tune into breathing? Because <laughs> we're breathing all the time. Right, yes. It's just we're not always attending to it. You mm-hmm. can set up little mm-hmm. timers. You can use it and once an hour. You take 60 seconds or... <laughs> 120 seconds or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's completely possible. I mean, I don't know that anyone's schedule is so crazy that you can't have 60 seconds in an hour to just stop what you're doing and focus your attention on your breathing you know, or whatever. I mean, if breathing is the place where you relax the most or you come into most contact with what's going on, then that's good. But if it's standing or if it's walking or if it's your body scanning... You know, that would be another place to bring your attention. But what's really important, because we get locked into the habit of doing, we get into this cycle that we think that the more productive that we are, then the better it's going to be, and we completely lose contact with what's actually going on inside of our body. You know, we just, we don't have any sense at all about how tense we are, about how hungry we are, about how exhausted we are. (laughs) You know, we just completely are not tuned in to what is going on and that's not to our advantage and it doesn't make us more productive. What other things what other ways what other things are helpful? What else are things that you can bring from the stuff that we do into your work stuff? Taking a break, you know, walking away from the computer, or after a meeting, giving yourself a space um, to, you know, reconnect mm-hmm. with your with yourself.
1: Standing up and just walking around, <clears throat> you know, getting because we're all of these jobs where we're sitting down all the time, mm-hmm. so it messes up your circulation. We're not used to this, not how we're programmed to operate. So just getting up and walking around and getting the blood circulating again into all of your limbs, uh, real refreshing. And if you happen to can combine that with your little walking meditation routine, well, you know, you come back to the job and you're squared away mm-hmm. for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take hours. It yeah. can just be a couple minutes. Now, I'm a an outside junkie. So we, when I spend a whole day inside this building, I'm like, <laughs> you know. So I was here all day, and I went and had a rest between the trees in the parking lot because it's the only place where there's an outside place here, you know. But the outside quality of air is very different, and the outside light is also very different. So when you get used to being inside buildings, this is normal for you. But for me, where this is not normal, it's like, man <laughs> This is quite different from what I'm used to, you know. And so, you know, if you have a if you've got more than 30 seconds, if you have actually enough minutes to get outside and breathe the fresh air outside, you know, it has a it has a very different effect on my system, you know, to be outside. I just I'm try to
1: lunch outside. You yeah. Take my lunch outside.
0: Yeah. And we get, I mean, we just get used to, we get used to everything, you know. And so there's a good quality about that, but there's also a bad quality because we get used to things that maybe aren't so helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. I'll share one technique that I've been doing for five years that has been very helpful to me. <coughs> it's a little bit unusual perhaps, but, um, in one minute, actually in less than one minute, I can do 40 push ups. But now over the course of a day, I'll intersperse during the day um, anywhere between 5 and 10 of those minutes. Now, I track I, I'm, I track my push-ups. Okay, I have a little sheet of paper at my desk. i track them. Last year, doing just that, just taking a break with a one-minute, which is not just a cardiovascular thing, you do 40 push-ups a minute, and you stand up, and you're breathing heavier, which is a cardiovascular, which is a great shot. Cardiovascular wise to you, and most of us we walk around and we're not exercising our upper body size. So this is a different kind of exercise for me, and it gives me a break from my work. And this might sound over the top for the average person, but remember I've been doing this for a long time. But I did ninety-five thousand push-ups in the course of a year, a year, okay. But it's not much. Remember, it's coming in one-minute increments. Okay, it's no big deal in reality. You know, but it adds up, and it that that one thing that I do and the habit that I have built plays a great deal of value in my mental health and physical health. Is that it's that one thing there?
0: And that's brilliant because that's a kind of compartmentalized thing that takes a minute, one
1: minute,
0: and um, you can do it a couple times during the day. Yes, and it has a huge kind of thing on your whole system, which completely gets interrupts the trains of thought. And energizes <coughs> your system and helps you release stuff from your body. It's fabulous. It's a brilliant idea. Brilliant.
1: My children have started doing it as a result of watching me. Over and, the, and, and, you know, and the thing, the thing, the the critical key in my mind that has worked is that I log it. You know, I can put a mark down for every ten ups. So it's, there's four cross it, do the next, and then I then I track them and I add them up at the end of the month. And there's a number, and then it, that is the kind of drives me to keep it going and you build that habit and you know I track it over the years and I get all this I mean, but, but it's a simple thing it's a fast thing to do but then a habit builds and for me it has been an important part of it has become an important part yes <laughs>
0: so coming up with habits like that that are simple and yet healthy mm-hmm. and um, really help keep yourself relaxed and it's fabulous it's fabulous I mean, I don't have a car. I ride my bike. And so in order for me to get anywhere, I have to get on my bike. And, you know, I, and so I, I ride up and down hills and all the rest of that. And, you know, it, and then it's, it's just, it's really good exercise, you know. It's really good exercise. So it's probably not practical for most people to, if you've got, a, you know, a distance to commute. But it might be possible to do it occasionally, you know, to ride a bike. And then when you realize, well, actually, it feels fabulous to be on a bike. <laughs> I mean, it just feels absolutely wonderful to be on a bike and to be in fresh air and to be getting exercise and to be doing, you know, and to have, you know, all of that. It's just, oh, well, maybe he can find a way to do more. You know? So you know, bringing it in, so it's not like you're having to carve out huge chunks of time that's specialized to do this separate but to let this come in into like tiny little bits and pieces so that you're getting the flavor and the feeling and all the rest of that and it's coming into your life. It's coming into your work. It's coming into your families. It's coming into your community and seeing what effect it has. You know, how, you know, are you sleeping better? Or, or what's happening in the work positions? Or what's happening in the relationships that you have to, you know, talk with people? What's happening? What's happening? So that's the intention of the series, and, you know, it started because Vic met me, and he said, wow. He said, you know, even if you had a huge house and a million dollars and everything you needed, if you didn't have inner peace, you'd have nothing. And if you had inner peace, it doesn't matter how small your house is and how little you have, because you're content. So Vic totally got it. And so he said, come, you know, come and talk to us and share and see if we can figure out how to bring this into this environment as well. And so, you know, that was Vic's Vic's idea. And, you know, the motivation that we have and where we're coming from really does have a big effect on our lives.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.